All right, everyone. Welcome back to another episode of A Little More Good. Thanks for tuning into the show. It's Dean here with you today. Zach and I have been uh, running a little bit of opposite directions the last few days. So you got uh, you just got me on the intro today, but that's all good. We are um, so excited for today's episode. It's really, really a good conversation with um, someone who is just like a very eclectic and wise and wonderful human being. Uh, the guest of honor today is none other than the legendary Brian Saul. We talked with Brian today about his life and his practice of showing up in the spaces he uh, inhabits, showing up uh, consistently as a storyteller, as someone who builds brands professionally and is very, very um, selective about the brands that he works with and the mission that they all want to create and uh, put out in the world. And we also go deep in terms of his own spirituality and the evolution even of a person's spirituality. And, you know, sharing our story as a means of creating and connecting with the world and people around us. We dive into conversations around art and design and, of course, those spiritual practices. And one of the things that I really loved that Brian uh, talked about in this episode was the idea of meditation being creative and how framework and form, both in design and in our spiritual life, allow for freedom and freedom of expression. This is truly uh, a great episode for anyone who is on a spiritual journey, which, if we're honest with ourselves, is all of us. And for anyone looking to just find little gems of wisdom in terms of sharing story, sharing ideas, discovering our own uniqueness, our own creativity, and the ways that we can connect with ourselves and others in the world around us. So we're really excited to share this episode with you today. But before we do, a quick word from this episode's sponsor. This week's podcast is brought to you by Athletic Greens. Zach and I have been um, just really enjoying leveling up our, our daily routine with this micro habit that is just uh, such a good, good thing to do. Get up first thing in the morning, fill up some water, dump a little scoop of Athletic Greens AG1 drink formula in there and just shake it and enjoy. It's kind of like it's that part of that morning ritual now. It's the shake and wake, baby. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah, I like that. But it is. It's so good. Athletic Greens, not only um, full of 75 high-quality ingredients, probiotics, minerals, vitamins, all that good stuff that you need, it's easy. It's easy to do. And it's not like some big routine of like, oh, you got to get the juicer or smoothie. Like you can just literally wake and shake. There we and go. And drink it and you feel good. It's such a. It's such an easy habit that um, affords you so much goodness in your life. I'm hooked. And so many people have been asking me what I think. Yeah. I, I take so, I've experimented with so many supplements and powders over the years. Yeah. And I, you know, I wholeheartedly love my AG1. I look forward to it. It's the first thing I do when I wake up. And it's definitely hands down the best greens that I've, that I've ever taken. So um, I've got a full endorsement and putting my my years of taking green powders and supplements, yes, yes. Um, I'm all in with AG1. It's my my favorite uh, way to start the day. It's so good, especially now. Like you know, we're kind of midwinter, colds, flus, all that stuff. Like you want to make sure you have every 
you know, a bit of nutrient and everything in you to help help your body just like remain healthy or fight off these things that are flying around through the air. And I mean, it's, there's no easier, easier way to take advantage of reclaim your health and really protect and arm your immune system with this convenient daily nutrition. Like I said, it's one scoop, throw it in with a cup of water, that's it. No need for all of your supplements that you used to have. Zach's got a whole empty cupboard where all those supplements used to be. Yeah. Looks out for your health and looks after, you know, all that cabinet space. What's the best way to uh, get Athletic Greens into your daily routine? Yeah, we got we got your hookup. To make it easy, Athletic Greens is going to give you a free one-year supply of immune-supporting vitamin D and five free travel packs with your first purchase. So easy, throw them in the, throw them in the bag, suitcase, whatever, you got it. All you have to do is visit athleticgreens.com slash moregood. Again, that's athleticgreens.com slash more good to take ownership over your health and pick up the ultimate daily nutritional insurance. There we go. Get on it, friends. Don't miss out. Don't miss out, especially during this winter season. Yeah. You know, everyone's got the sniffles, so get your greens and push those sniffles away. Oh. All right. Time for this week's episode. All right. All right. We're back with another week of a little more good. And I'm um, super excited to be sitting here with my, my good friend, Dean. What's up, everybody? And another good friend, Brian Saul. Thanks for joining us, Brian. Hey, guys. Yeah. Brian, Thanks for having to, me. Of course. It's so good to have you here. Um, excited to dive in, uh, get to know a bit about you, your story, and how, yeah, some of the things you've pursued in business, but also in your personal life. And, and um, we're all about human stories here. Mm-hmm. We, we, we believe those are the ways that we connect with one another, mm-hmm. learn and grow. And regardless of uh, a similarity in trajectory or path, those stories, there's always moments of resonance where we can see ourselves in each other. And, mm-hmm. and we love that. So excited to dive into your story and just kind of like find points of connection and points of learning for, for all of, for us and for all of the listeners. Yes. So cool. Yeah. yeah, Brian, I think you embody two things that uh, I think we all have at birth and two things that I'm so interested and curious about and, and a, you know, a creative path and, and a spiritual path. Mm-hmm. And, and you walk both those paths and fuse them together and, you know, walk them separately at times. But, um, you know, rewinding things back to, to being young, Brian, mm-hmm. to a, a, wee, a wee lad. Um, did you find that creativity was an outlook that you had from a young age or, or where did that come into your life? When did you realize that you had a creative eye or were able to, to see things in a different way? Yeah. I, I mean, I think creativity was always, um, part of my experience and, and in some ways was, was, uh, one of the very few outlets, uh, that I had and that I got positive feedback from, right. I was not, uh, uh, the best student. I was not, um, the most well-behaved young man sometimes. Um, but, uh, I could always kind of focus on creativity and I could, uh, always, you know, seem to do well enough at it that I got some, I got some positive feedback from it. So. So how did that show up when you were young? Was that like drawing or expressing yourself in, in other ways? Or, yeah, it or was w- drawing, it was writing, it was playing my guitar. Yeah. Um, you know, nothing nothing really um, that turned, that, you know, was a, was a big deal, but it was a constant in my life. All those, all those little things. Yeah. Um, yeah. You know. When you remember back to being a kid and doing mm-hmm. those things, drawing, mm-hmm. playing music, whatever, mm-hmm. Uh, in those moments, did you see it as like, oh, I'm like, I'm a creative person or I'm being creative now? Or was it more just like an outflow, an extension of who you were? Like, was there a, an awareness of like, oh, these are things that creative people do? Or was this just like 
this is what I like to do. This is what lights me up. Yeah, it's a cool question. I don't know. I mean, certainly at some point I became aware of the like the artist's archetype, you know, and and wanting to wanting to sort of embody that. Um, but I, I think it started before that, and uh, and was just something that I did. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, I also grew in terms of where I ended up in terms of my creativity. I grew up in a. Uh, both my parents worked in the advertising industry in in, in Toronto. So um, even though neither of them were in creative fields, that whole um, that 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 those conversations around the dinner table were always part of my life. Yeah, no doubt. Um, yeah. So you know, part of me still wishes that I you know just gone all the way and and been you know uh, a visual artist of some kind and not uh but you know hindsight hey it's hindsight. not it's not too late you no know? you're right you're 100 percent right that's, right that's one thing you know my pre-business i went to emily carr and study painting mm-hmm. and kind of had that life and you know have left it for now but mm-hmm. we'll hopefully circle back at some point but yeah. i remember during our history like learning about so many artists that like started painting at like 70 you know like and didn't make it till they were 92 or whatever you know i mean there's lots of cases that they didn't make it till after after they passed but i think there's no there's no time when uh there's no time that's too late to start being a visual artist yeah no i mean those are always great stories right i think we can really get hemmed into our own story about ourselves yes and that this is what we are, whether it's a teacher or a graphic designer yes. or a business owner. Um, and yeah, I think sometimes it's not as hard as we think to yeah. change things up. Try on some hats and yeah. see how they fit. That's right. Mm-hmm. Like an artist that I, that I love and admire, I've met him a few times, his name's Scott Erickson. Uh-huh. He's from like the Austin originally and has uh-huh. moved around. Anyway, he, he creates beautiful art, but he has a, a mug that he always like posts on his Instagram and it's just like future famous dead artist. Yes. <laughs> and just like living into the fact that like, I just do this now because I need to create and this is who I am. But yeah, I'm not here to, to make a name for myself, but what happens after I'm gone? <laughs> it's, you know, I went, I went and saw an act last night, this guy Petunia and the Vipers playing, uh, you know, on the East side. And, you know, there's like, there's five guys in this band and they're making a living. They're great. But like, you know, it's just that thing. You can tell like they don't really have a choice. Yeah. You know, they're in their case, they're musicians and they're creating and this is what they do. Yeah. And it was, it's dynamite. It's beautiful. Yeah. yeah. When you see people doing the thing that they're kind of meant to do yeah. here, it's, it's incredible. Yeah. Whether it's yeah music, art, running, whatever the thing is like that person is made to do that. It's, it's poetry. Yeah, yeah, and it's it's really um, you know like so much that's been commodified in, in in art right now. There's you know you see, all you see the stories about painting selling for eighty million dollars, and man, you know go out into the street and see people painting on walls in downtown Vancouver or playing gigs at small you know yeah. it's it's out there. Yeah, yeah. So when you were kind of leaning into this this creative space that was like a safe and encouraging mm-hmm. space for you as a young man. Were there role models, whether in music or art, that you were leaning into, like uh, musicians or painters or writers, that kind of... I mean, I definitely fell into that. Um, you know, I would say my, uh, for better or worse, my parents might say worse, but, uh, <laughs> uh, you know, a writer that I really always um, admired and, and still admired and I, and I still admire, and I think 
he gets a little bit maligned because of the content is is Hunter Thompson. And mm-hmm. I think he uh, really saw things and saw America um, and uh, uh, in in a, in a unique way. Yes. Right? It didn't take itself too seriously. And then, of course, when I was, let's say from when I was 16 till 21, I saw more than my fair share of Grateful Dead concerts. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. A dead? Were you a deadhead? I was Are a deadhead. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, I, mean, I still <laughs> listen. I haven't. I mean, I haven't seen them. I mean, the reason I say that, uh, um, you know, my parents might not agree that they were good role models. Uh, I, I still think they are, but I, I did end up an addict, and I did mm. end up. Um, you know, I've been, I've been clean since I was. 23 or something so it's not a big part of my life anymore but right it did get me in some trouble so, mm-hmm. Yeah. so um with the creative side of things and you know i'd love i'd love to circle back on on sobriety and addiction mm-hmm. if that's something you're open to yeah sure to, to later on um you made this your your profession mm-hmm. um at some point you realized you know this is something i'm good at this is something i can pursue um, so did you pursue the creative arts like through university or, or what did that journey look like? Yeah, I did. Um, I did. I went to George Brown college for graphic design. I yeah. didn't finish the program. Yeah. Um, but you know, I like, did it. Yeah. So I did part of it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and then, um, really I just, you know, right after that I was working in a video store in, uh, in Toronto and then moved out. Uh, got in a car with a friend who was moving out here to go to Emily Carr. Yeah. I wasn't, but nice. I had nothing else going on and then uh, ended up here. And then pretty quickly I ended up, uh, you know, deciding that the design was something that I wanted to pursue. Yeah. And shelled out for a Mac and, yep. you know, started learning that. Because, like, you know, they weren't really teaching us the computer part of it when mm. I went to design school. So yeah. kind of learned that on my own and slowly but surely, um, you know, got a few jobs, ended up working at an ad agency and, yep. uh, and then, uh, slowly went out on my own. And, yeah. Yeah. Very cool. Um, there's a few things with creativity that I'm always curious about, mm-hmm. uh, where people's mindset kind of lies. Um, one is like the idea of like the conscious creative, like the collective conscious creative. Mm-hmm. Um, I remember during those Emily Carr days, like reading and studying that like there was, there was art being created that was the same in Africa and, and South America. And like, there was the, these parallels that were happening like pre colonization, pre, you know, obviously pre internet, uh, pre kind of mass travel mm-hmm. that there was these, these expressions that were almost, uh, identical and, and kind of opposite places of the mm-hmm. world. And that kind of brought up this question of like, where does creativity come from? Where's the source? Like, is it from our influence? Is it from our surrounding? Is it from our nature or nurture? Or is this, there's this source creativity that, you know, we can tap into that is a collective conscious of creativity. Um, and that was kind of proposed to us. And it was a question that kind of sat with me. Mm-hmm. Um, what are your, th- what are your thoughts thoughts on that? Like, where do you find creativity? Is it through, practice is it through you know exposing yourself to you know a field of creative influence and ecosystem of creativity or or what does what does creativity look like for you well I think because of what I do which is primarily brand design and package design and really focused on packaging um it's uh 
it's a combination of form and freedom, right? Like it is for, for me, creativity is, although, you know, I really, I love the idea of being a painter or a, and creating just for creative creativity's sake. My process is really about taking a set of limitations and figuring out a solution, hopefully a beautiful solution, but also a, a solution that has to sell product. Yes. Uh, in my case, in, in, in case of my, um, my work. Um, and so it's like that oscillating between, you know, um, you know, a lot of people talk about thinking outside the box. For me, it's really about thinking in the box. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Like it's really about what is the most elegant, direct, and um, engaging solution um, that I can come up with inside this, you know, juice bar and they're wrapping around this juice bottle or on this box of cereal or, um, but that, you know, one of, and I I think, I know we're going to talk about a little later, but one, one of the things that's interesting about that, um, that question of, of creativity is I, I think, you know, one of the great things about being alive right now is even through things like YouTube is we have this like exposure to all of these different, um, spiritual practices yes. or cultures. And I mean, it just seems to me that, that in these unique sort of culturally different ways, everybody's basically describing the same experience, yes. mm. right? Like we're not that different, yes. um, which is beautiful, yes. uh, you know, that we can be the same and different, but, um, so what, I don't know where creativity comes, but I, I think it is something that, as humans, we all share. Yes. Uh, and we all, it can be accessed in different ways, through different practices, through different techniques, through different... But Yeah. But, uh, um, yeah. I, I am always curious how creative people find inspiration. Like, uh, mm-hmm. I remember reading, and we've talked about this in the past, Mary Oliver, in an interview, said creativity for her was a practice. Mm-hmm. You know, she wrote poetry every day and mm-hmm. through that consistency, sometimes the divine would intervene, mm-hmm. but it was her showing up every single day, practicing that, yep. that allowed greatness. Mm-hmm. It wasn't that she would be struck by inspiration. It was that she was consistent and that day-to-day practice allowed for greatness to, <laughs> to happen. There, there's a, there's a similar, I, I really like that. There's a, there's a similar, um, there's a Canadian designer named Bruce Ma. Yes. And he has a man, a hundred, forgotten what he called, but a man, design manifesto, a hundred things, a list of a hundred things. And I remember reading it 20 years ago. And one of them was copy people. Yes. Yeah. And it'll never end up the same. Like if you are engaged in the process of being creative, look at something you love, try and do it and guaranteed it'll be different. I love that. Yeah. And, and I, I really like, I love, I love to walk through grocery stores. Yes. I love to look at websites that focus on package design and then. My particular design, I think, is very driven by typography. I mm-hmm. love typography. Mm-hmm. I love old type books. I love, and and as I'm able to to work more and more on on projects that afford me more time to work on them, um, creating 
logo type that is sort of from scratch. And, and that is often a process of finding, you know, there are these resources of um, uh, type books going back 100, 150 years. Um, and some of them are digitized and just going and looking at all that, at all the type. And again, you can set out yeah. to copy a typeface or yes. six letters for a, and it's invariably it's going to end up different just because yeah. we bring our own, yeah. uh, our own, uh, uh, self to it. Yes. Yeah. Yes. There's a great, there's a great book, um, by, I think it's Austin Cleon. It's called Steal Like an Artist. Mm-hmm. It's an awesome, and it's like, it's so creative just even the way that he's like formatted and laid his book out. Mm-hmm. I remember reading that as part of a, a master's program mm-hmm. I was in, and it mm-hmm. seemed like the most random book for this mm-hmm. course that I was yeah. in, but probably one of the favorite things that I encountered through that because it was just this permission to lean into creativity, but not to feel like you have to sit there and and, and come up with it out of thin air. Mm-hmm. But to say, look at everything around us and mm-hmm. just like, borrow take it steal it because mm-hmm. and it was the exact point mm-hmm. it's gonna it's gonna go in and it's gonna come out and be something totally brand new yeah, right exactly. it's like that old adage there's nothing new under the sun yeah but like what can we do with and what's it, been here right? and if you don't like the word steal you can say i'm honoring or yes. modeling yeah of course or, yeah, yeah, yeah inspired by but i think intentionally yeah. cheeky for the book title right yeah, but like sure. that's the that's the ideas behind that is is that like let's be inspired yeah let's honor let's pay homage however yeah. you want to say it but yeah. to say it's yeah, we all have our sources yeah. and our inspiration, and then it's cool to think that like we are going to be that potentially for someone else. Right? There's a there's another um, designer, famous designer named Paul Rand, who among other things designed the IBM logo, okay. right, and the UPS logo, like big time, yeah, right? big time. And uh, I read an interview with him once, and he said, you know, the secret to my success in the '50s was that I had a friend that was sending me design books from Germany and Switzerland, and <laughs> nobody else in America was getting those. <laughs> That's so funny. You yeah. Know? And same thing. I mean, he's not saying he like stole, like, you know, that he just completely replicated people, other people's ideas. Yeah. Another lens of inspiration. Yeah. 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 Or source. Yeah. 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 I mean, I, I think it's, it's funny because one can be criticized for sampling or like, you know, appropriating other styles, but that's all we're really doing is remixing and, and, you know, drawing from our inspirations to create something that's unique with our own approach. Um, but to, to have original thought or original creation, you'd have to live kind of, uh, you know, in a cave by yourself without influence to, to be able to, to not create without consideration to all of your surroundings. Yeah. Well, I mean, and I think that's what, since there was, Whatever your belief system, since there was two people, yes. that's what we've been doing. Yeah. You know what I mean? Totally, like, yeah. Ooh, that's cool. Yeah. 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 Let's try that out. Yeah. So what do you say, Brian, to the person who's like, that's awesome for you. Like you're mm-hmm. a creative person. You, you knew from, from childhood, but like, I'm just not creative. Like, cause we, I think we've all heard that. Unfortunately, I think a lot of people would put themselves in that camp where they're like, well, like I'm not a creative person. And that might mean I'm not good at drawing mm-hmm. or painting or mm-hmm. music or something like that. But like, what, what would you say if someone's like, oh, that's awesome. But like, I'm not creative. Well, I guess it depends where you, um, where you get, where you get pleasure from, where, where you get a sense of, of accomplishment. I, you know, uh, it's not for, you know, 
one of the things I think I've learned over the years working with working, collaborating with people is sometimes, and this is not for me, but sometimes there's a tremendous amount of creativity in a spreadsheet. Mm. You know what I mean? And if, if, if that gives you, if that's what floats your boat, go with it. Um, I mean, I don't want to sound like the, you know, the old guy, like every, you know, the world's going to hell in a handbasket, but I think we've also, um, really confused being a professional at something with doing something for enjoyment. Mm. And you do, you can, you can have a blast in a kitchen with five people and a guitar and you know, three chords. You, You don't have to be, um... I mean, you guys both have young kids now, mine or older. Kids sports, you know, mm-hmm. it's like this. Everybody's got to be a professional. It's like, or you can just go out and throw the ball. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. You know, yeah, and, yeah. and you can enjoy it for the, for the, just the love of doing it. Yeah. So. What, it, what it gives to you and yeah, that connection you can have with others and the thing that you're doing, cooking, music, whatever it yeah, is, yeah. spreadsheets even. And it's really yeah. important for all of us to know that just because we like it doesn't mean everybody else is going to like it. Like there's yeah. so many different, so whatever creativity is to you. I yeah. Mean, you know. I mean, I, to what you said, I think our accountant's one of the most creative people yeah. I know, you know, I'm like, <laughs> Be wow. careful with that a little yeah. bit. I mean, yeah. Yeah. in terms no, no. of like building projections <laughs> yeah, totally. and, you know, finding solutions and stuff totally. like that, like, uh, it's a different lens of, of being able to solve problems and, yes. um, you know, going back to what you said about childhood, like having two young kids, like if I give them, you know, if I give a, a grown up a pen and, and a paper and say, draw something, you know, they might have 20 years of you're not good at this, holding mm-hmm. them back from even starting. Mm-hmm. But when you give that to a kid, they just start creating. And it's like, I'm always in awe of like what my older son, who's five years old, draws. Because mm-hmm. he just like, he has no limitations. No, you know, it's so. like whatever he can imagine. Yeah. Even if it doesn't look like that, it's like to him, it's like this magic dragon, unicorn, whatever, you know, That's like, right. yeah, yeah. and I love that just liberated way of possibility you know if we can tap into that as we yeah as we continue to age and yeah, we we uh, acquire judgment yes oh, and limiting beliefs yeah. and yeah we yeah. can we talk about those limitless beliefs versus limited beliefs and right exploring yeah. what's possible i mean another part of creativity that i'm i'm so interested in is the storytelling mm-hmm and and with branding especially, I, I love, similar to yourself, whenever I go to a new city, uh, there's two things I like to do. I like to go run and explore the city, but I also like to go find the grocery store mm-hmm. and just walk the aisles and see what the brands are doing and mm-hmm. see the visualness and the language. And um, to me, it's all, it's all about storytelling mm-hmm. and, and the good brands tell a great story. Mm-hmm. Um, can you kind of talk about storytelling whether it's our own brand as a as an individual or if we're creating you know a, a, a consumer packaged good you know for a grocery store um the power of storytelling um and how that can evolve yeah i mean it's it's an interesting question again in the framework of 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 what i do the the stories you know i'm so focused on the front of a package yes and so the story really, one of the best things about package design I ever heard was someone who said, the closer to the shelf you get, the more it's about efficacy. 
right? Which is not, but there's still story and efficacy. So you quickly have to communicate the story of why this person needs this product. And then there's second and third moments of truth where they, where they form deeper connections with the brand. Um, but, you know, it's, it's really, I mean, what our brains do is create story. Um, we take uh, sensations and we give them names and we decide whether they're pleasant or unpleasant. Mm -hmm. And we, you know, make a story of uh, whether we, um, how they became pleasant or unpleasant or how we, how we, and, and so I, I think it's, it's something so deeply ingrained in how our brains work um, that when we connect with a story in, in the case of branding that serves us, um, we're, we're drawn to it. Mm -hmm. So, you know, and I think that goes for people too. And, and, you know, the interesting thing about that is, you know, it's not like we need to have the same story, but we need to recognize, you know, if we recognize a little bit of shared experience or are even intrigued by somebody else's story, we can, uh, we can uh, be in relationship with them. Yes. Along those lines, you know, we see brands, you see classic brands like Coca-Cola mm -hmm. kind of stay to their, their mm -hmm. true north, but mm -hmm. um, maybe this can be an analogy for, for our own stories as well, but often we'll see brands rebrand mm -hmm. or revise. Mm -hmm. um, so there's capacity to, to change that story, mm -hmm. whether totally. that's for a brand or for ourselves. Mm -hmm. Like mm -hmm. I think brands can get attached to an old story that no longer serves their growth or where they've become. And, and likewise, you know, we as people can get attached to a story of who we are that doesn't necessarily serve where we want to go or mm -hmm. it's time for us to evolve our story and change mm -hmm. to, you know, whether we identify as a failure or something that didn't work out, mm -hmm. you know, we need to re reimagine and retell that story. And yeah. I, I think the same goes for, for brands. So sure. can you kind of um, allude to the ability to change that story, the rebrand, the refresh and... Yeah, I mean it's it, it it's interesting because I think we kind of do the, we do do the same things with ourselves, but I'll I'll stick to the brand side. You know, yes. being my career, uh, I've worked almost exclusively with entrepreneurial brands and yes. almost in, exclusively in sort of what we would call you know progressive packaged goods space, like yeah. natural, organic, sustainable, socially responsible, and. You know, one of the really interesting things, and, and Zach, I'm sure you guys have experienced this, about that um, trajectory is, you know, not even failure. You can be hugely successful and then, um, but just in order to grow, you need to appeal to a broader and broader audience. Mm -hmm. So your story has to change. I mean, you know... I'm sure for you guys, you know, back in the day, most of your customers knew what every ingredient was. And, you know, I think the first time I ever had maca was in one of your shakes. Nice. You know what I mean? But, you know, and, and as that grows, those, the consumers, you're not just talking to hardcore consumers anymore. And every time you reach, and, and those are opportunities where you may need to reconsider your story. Mm -hmm. um, if you want to appeal to uh, a, a broader audience and, and, and grow your business. 
Mm. I love that. Yeah. Um, one, sto- one question I have, and then maybe we can talk about another story of, sure. of, of your life, your kind of sure. your spiritual, your spiritual sure. journey, your spiritual path. But for those listening, um, you know, I think we've seen a boom in, in consumer packaged goods in the last three years. And I think like the branding is just like skyrocketing. Like, uh, mm-hmm. you know, there's lots of nostalgic, at least for me as like an elder millennial, there's mm-hmm. lots of like throwbacks now to like mm-hmm. the, the early nineties. And mm-hmm. just, uh, I think it's an interesting time. Um, if someone's wanting to launch a brand or they're in that phase, like, do you have any like advice or steps that you'd go through in creating, like if we were to, if we're, Dean and I were coming to you and we wanted to create a new packaged good, Mm -hmm. are there kind of some steps or some check marks that you go through, some questions you ask um, for starting those first steps in creating a brand? You know, I think for entrepreneurs, it's a real tightrope between having a vision and listening to your consumers. Mm -hmm. I think you can get too focused on your vision and ignore what people are telling you. You can get too focused on what people are telling and try and pander to a consumer. So if you're, if you're a person that's sort of inclined to believe that, you know, you have the vision to, you know, save the planet Mm -hmm. with your, your product, spend, spend some time. Yeah. Um, you know, I, it, it also just practically totally depends on how much money you have. (laughs) For sure. It just does. For sure. Um, you know, they're, they're, you know, one of the things that has, I've noticed that has hit the, the, um, entrepreneurial packaged goods world lately is, is, um, more and more venture capital money, more and more, um, in the last three years, what I would consider relatively small brands going public. Yes, I've seen so much of that. And and raising huge amounts of money. Yes. Um, that's a totally different proposition than starting at a farmer's market. Yes. Uh, and yeah. making the product and listening to people tell you about your product yeah. and taking that in. I mean, it's two totally different games. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, one is like a scale and sell quickly, and the other is, you know, build a build a business slowly over time. Yeah. So it really, it really does depend on that, I yeah. think. Cool. And if you do this, if you if you know, if you're going after the 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 VC money and the big launch, get a good creative accountant. Yes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes. Yes. Express that creativity in the numbers. That's there we go. Yeah. Yeah. Is there a bit of a rub like, or, or a trade off, uh, if a brand is like considering a rebrand for, for whatever the reason might be, but, um, maybe, maybe an aesthetic or logo or image uh, that was created, uh, represent is representative of, of who they are or what the product is or the demographic that's been loyal. Is there a bit of a trade-off or tension when you're saying, okay, stay true to that mm-hmm. or shift it, pivot it uh, in a way that's going to reach new uh, new consumers, new customers? And have you seen like patterns or trends or is it kind of, it depends on who, who's behind it in terms of we want to stay true to the aesthetic and kind of like image uh, and idea that story we're telling versus our goal is to continually grow. That's the tightrope walk right like that's the i mean look if you are five years in and you've got the money for a rebrand or you have the band you're doing something well okay so 
you know, be careful. Don't change too much. Um, you know, one of the real pivot points for brands, I think, is when they can start spending money on research. Because any, and, you know, in, until you're doing, and it's not a panacea, but you'll always get information that you didn't, you probably didn't know. I, I still do. After 25 years, you see research and you see, oh, wow, who knew that that's what consumers liked about this brand? Um, uh, but that's expensive. Yeah. So until you're doing that, it's all kind of um, guesswork. Right. I mean, you can get feedback and, and I know it's not, I'm not particularly well I know there's lots of things you can do on social media now to talk to your consumers and get feedback. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I mean, knowing when to change. I mean, one thing I'd say is um, consumers, if you're lucky, look at your packaging for 10 seconds a month and you look at it all the time. So you're going to see every little, um, you know, I've seen consumers just as for a sake of example, you know, as an example, you change the logo from a serif to a sans serif typeface. 80% of people won't even notice. Right. Yeah. So um, <laughs> it's, it's about, I, I think it's about, you know, and this is one of the things about being a designer and what I think a successful designer does is, is it's, it, yeah, it's obviously about beauty but it's about um, it's about doing doing what works, mm-hmm. um, and so you know keep keep your eyes on keep your eyes on those things, not the you know trust your designer or illustrator or photographer that they're going to make beautiful things, um, and hire people who make beautiful things. But um, you know if, if 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 you're the entrepreneur, I would say focus on. Um, Focus on the story and the messages. What yeah. are the what are the key things that are moving your product? And, yeah. There we go. All right. I'm taking notes here, Brian. I'm taking yeah. notes. I'm I think you're doing notes. okay. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. So to kind of like switch switch pace here a little bit. Um, we're gonna rebrand. We're gonna re- <laughs> re- rebrand the podcast. Yeah. Um, I'm so curious about uh, your your spiritual path. Sure. Uh, you've got uh, a little meditation studio called Householder mm-hmm. uh, here in Vancouver, and um, you know you've been following this this Buddhist um, mm-hmm. kind of path. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'd love just to rewind that back to to where those those where that interest began and kind of how you're fostering it now, and kind of dive deep into your spiritual life. Yeah, sure. I mean, I would say uh, I came to it. Um, mostly out of like a deep fear of death yes um you know and and a way to uh uh you know after you know some some research and some hit or miss but really just a way to address some really you know at times not um not debilitating but at times fairly profound existential dread and, um, and where did that come from? That fear of death was that just something that was like at the core of your existence, or was there yeah, an event or circumstance that triggered that? I don't think there was an event. I was raised straight up atheist. Yeah, it's done when you're done. Yeah, and and you know, so in 
infinity freaked me out. Yeah. Mm. Even sometimes staring at the sky, you know, and the stars, for, like, freaked me out. Yeah. Mm. Um, and, uh, um, you know, I started exploring some some things, and then and then was meditating sort of in a secular way and just because of my sort of inquisitive nature started sort of looking into the roots of mindfulness and where it all came from and and uh um which which drew me to uh buddhism yeah Mm. and how did that address your your fear of of death well first and foremost i mean just straight up one of the fundamental, one of the three fundamental natures of existence is impermanence in the the Buddhist. And like, and I did a good year of just death practice, Mm -hmm. you know, just doing my best to, to stare it in the face and, and, and slowly but surely come to terms with the idea that that's, it's part of it. And, and, you know, even, I mean, I gotta, I gotta say what ultimately what drew me to Buddhist practice was, it was a few things. One was that it is completely experiential, um, insofar as the Buddha never said, trust me, you're going to go to heaven. Hmm. He said, sit, do this, see for yourself, practice in this way see what happens and you know slowly but surely some of those things started to happen for me so I figured you know it's uh, uh, this is for me and for better or worse I've just gone down that path Mm. when you think back like uh, as a kid and kind Mm -hmm. of raised in this secular or even atheist like Mm -hmm. environment um, I'm guessing like spirituality and topics of, of spiritual conversations weren't really existing but you had maybe maybe I'm wrong. No. Nope. But you had um, this. You said like this this fear, mm-hmm. like even looking at the stars. Mm-hmm. Do you like looking back? Is that a sense of like maybe awe rather than fear, or was it like this, or, or like maybe a, a deeper knowing that like the, when I look at it, like there's something beyond, bigger, more like that you wanted to tap into. Or was it like when you when you put put yourself back there? Is it like no? It was just kind of like oh shit! Like that's what yeah. is all. That? I mean, I I think it was dread. I mean, mm-hmm. I think it was I think it was straight up fear. I mean, yeah. it was it was in my body. You know what I mean? Like it's yeah, still yeah. Uh, it's still uh, you know sometimes less and less. I mean, and not in relation to that, but it's that feeling in your gut mm-hmm. when you get afraid. You know when you get um, so. You know, maybe that was underlying it, but yeah. uh, my my recollection of it so was, like, yeah, yeah, huh. yeah, yeah. That's wild. And so, uh, I, one of the one of the things on your, I mean, you have uh, a great Instagram for a householder, mm-hmm. and where you've posted some some reflections and some mm-hmm. invitations to to consider and to read mm-hmm. through. And one of them um, is forget about emptiness, forget about impermanence. And and so you've used that word. And can, let's just unpack it in case someone's like, well, what exactly? does impermanence mean or entail? Well, in, in, in the Buddhist concept, impermanence literally means everything that arises has the nature to pass away. Mm -hmm. Um, which, you know, when you, when you think about it, um, and you know, how do I, 
without getting too too sort of geeky and detailed. Yeah, let's get geeky um, and detailed. Let's, let's go um, go deep down the well. That that applies um, to equally to the universe as it does to this thought that I'm having in the second. And then so how can we? Um, and and the reason I said forget about emptiness and forget about impermanence is sometimes in this practice. Um, especially, actually, I think especially for dudes, I think especially for the more intellectual, you tend to more into the intellectual versus the heart side of it, you can really get caught up in trying to, you know, find fundamental reality or understand what emptiness is. And in reality, it's happiness practice, Mm. right? The goal is the end of suffering. Down the line for all beings, but first and foremost for yourself. And so sometimes that, you know, obsession with what is emptiness or what is impermanence doesn't actually serve. It's not actually skillful. And, and the trick is, is not to attach one way or the other to it. So the, the, when, when you're talking about impermanence from a practice standpoint, ultimately it's in service of not attaching to anything not not clinging or craving um, to something because it's going to go away. Right. And, you know, the beautiful thing for me coming from this, you know, atheist background was when you get practiced at this and you, and you achieve some of these meditative states, what you understand is at the bottom of that isn't nihilism. Right at the bottom of that is like this wide open. I mean, it's kind of love, mm. right? And it's and it's um, it's yeah. It's it it can be pretty profound. Yeah, because sometimes I think uh, the criticism or skepticism mm-hmm. is that people think yeah, it just it just does end up at nihilism. Where well, if everything is is impermanent, then nothing matters. And that's not the message. That's not the message that things don't matter and that, you know, well, if I'm supposed to be non-attached, then how do I love my partner, my kids, my friends, if like, if I'm supposed to just let go of it all? And and that's where it's understanding, do, do I need those relationships for me to feel happy and joy? Or can those bring me joy and be part of my experience here? But no, ultimately, like, it will all be gone. Yeah, I mean, it's interesting you say just let go because I, I have a bit of a... I, sometimes in the modern mindfulness movement, just let go can be a bit of a... I don't know. Like, yes, it's about letting go. Mm-hmm. Um, but at least in the Buddhist context, there's like this very specific process and system of slowly becoming aware Mm -hmm. that's involved letting go it's involved in letting go and it's not easy we can't like you can't just sit down and turn your brain off yeah um whether that's your goal or not but it's um yeah so it can be a little gaslighty sometimes like Mm. oh just let go yeah no okay so the buddha spent eight years figuring out how to just let go you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, people, well, I, I, many, many ways that's indicative. That's symptomatic of our culture. Is like we want, we want the end result, 
we want the life hack. Mm-hmm. We want That's right. we want the six pack in two weeks because my vacation's coming up. We want to have all of the success overnight because I saw someone do it on YouTube. Mm-hmm. And you know, there's enough evidence of like, oh, it might be possible to mm-hmm. just like jump to the end goal to usurp the whole process. Yeah. And in fact, the process should be the goal. And and in I mean, I would say the process is entirely the goal. I, I would say that at the end of the day, the Dharma is uh is not about finding the truth. It's about um it's about letting go of the idea of truth. Mm. Um and, and again, that's not in that that's not in a nothing matters way. It's in a everything matters way. It's like every inter like I have an opportunity to bring joy if I can in everything I do. Yeah. Also gotta be careful, like none of us are perfect, right? Yes. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think there's also a real a lot of those things that get talked about when you look back at the sutras and what the Buddha talks about are our practices and things states we achieve on the cushion in a very um, controlled manner. And, you know, to, 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 to say, you know, we should all be walking around totally equanimous and just letting go is not actually, I mean, yeah, if you become enlightened, but none of us is getting enlightened. (laughs) You know what I mean? Like, um, yeah. So where do you bring this, this detachment or this, this frame of thinking into this idea of we are a part of this, this life where there are traffic jams and there are taxes to be paid and there are, you know, pandemics and there's these things that can bring anger Mm -hmm. and bring jealousy or Mm -hmm. bring our ego into Mm -hmm. things. Like how, how do you bring this practice, this mindfulness into Say you have anger that rises up or, or jealousy or, you know, mm-hmm. emotions that might not serve, a, you know, your spiritual growth or mm-hmm. maybe they are serving your spiritual growth. Like how do you deal with emotions that are kind of tugging you back into a place of fear or scarcity or anger? I think you got to c- kind of cut yourself some slack on those. Yes. I mean, I think the practice is the practice. Yeah. And, um, you know, you at least my approach is, is I meditate, I practice so that those things hit me a little less hard Mm -hmm. when they hit me, which they are, and (laughs) they do, um, you know, I, I, you're a little bit more mindful. You're a little bit more able to say this is impermanent, but sometimes not even that. Yeah. Like, you know, you can really start being aware in some of these meditative states of, the moment your consciousness shifts a little bit. And and I don't mean like some big, I'm enlightened shift. I mean, you go from um, identifying a certain sensation as painful to being able to identify a certain sensation just as a sensation. Mm-hmm. And um, my experience with things like anger and jealousy and in in real life is kind of wants whatever that biochemical process is that squirts inside you that makes you anger, you're kind of in, hmm. you know, and, and you can do your best to, to, um, temper it a little bit, but you just kind of got to let that flow through you. A little mm-hmm. bit. It's, uh, I know that it's also impermanent. 
yeah, that it will pass. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, that's, that can be hard sometimes. And, and I recognize that, um, you know, we all come from a really, um, maybe even entitled place and but you know the teaching is is that the the material circumstances of our suffering aren't actually the cause of our suffering mm. that our clinging our craving particularly to impermanence and self are sort of the root of our suffering but we still got to chop carrots you know yep. <laughs> yep. <laughs> carrots aren't going to chop themselves that's right mm. So with with your your practice of, mm-hmm. of Buddhism, you know, mm-hmm. I use that word practice intentionally. You talk about showing up daily for a meditation mm-hmm. for you know two to three hours a day. Mm-hmm. Um, can you talk about two things: the the process, the practice, the consistency of of giving some spaciousness mm-hmm. for that possibility um, to see where that takes you, and then. You know, you've been on this journey for you know x amount of years. Can you can you maybe share some of the the light bulbs that this the spaciousness and this practice has allowed for you in your life? Yeah, sure. I mean, I think the first one is at the beginning, it's hard. Mm-hmm. You know, meditation is not like I remember when I first started. T- sitting for 10 minutes sometimes was like chewing iron cake. You know what I mean? Like, it was just like, when is this going to be over? When is this going to be over? Yeah. Um, but, you know, there was, there was value in, in persistence. I think the big light bulb for me in terms of my current practice was when, you know, little things started happening that were, um, you know, that, had, that, that I'd read were likely to happen. Mm-hmm. Or and and so there there became this even though there's no real faith in this practice faith in the system will deliver um, will will deliver though you know at the end of the day it's just it's a technology I think there's a lot of the practice of it yes there's a cosmology yes there's a spirituality to it. Um, but th- there's a technology that in my mind works, and I have now sort of uh, seen it work um, over an, over a number of years. But again, it's uh, it's a long process. And, a, and do you think you need that? Because I, I, you know, we've seen all these apps. You know, there's Headspace, there's Calm, there's like infinite mindfulness apps. Mm-hmm. And I think people plug in and they're like waiting to have a spiritual moment. But I feel the spiritual moment is in the consistency, is in the practice, and giving permission to be consistent with, with showing up to allow for that. Can you kind of allude to, you know, it isn't, uh, you know, put your headphones on and spirituality finds you? Yeah, I mean, I think it's all good. Yes. You know, I think any time people are sitting down in this world with our phones and just chilling out for a bit, whatever it is, is good. But yes. I mean, you, you alluded to it a little earlier, which is, I, I think we live in a society that's looking for a magic bullet. Mm-hmm. And so even just understanding that it's not a magic bullet, that this is going to take time. I mean, one of the things about reincarnation, whether you believe it or not, is it can kind of take the pressure off. Yes. You know what I mean? Like it, you know, um, yeah, you, 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 you've got some time to do it and, and you'll start noticing things uh, happening in a small way. Um, for me, 
and obviously this isn't going to be everybody's experience, but I, I, I did really get taken with both the practice and understanding the, 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 um, the teachings, um, and then seeing how those teachings materialized in my, in my, um, in my meditation. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, that's, I like that. I like that um, sometimes spirituality can seem so like out there and we do it, but you don't really have a tangible benefit or, mm-hmm. you know, in the tr- tradition that I, I've participated in and, and still am part of in, in, in the church is like the goal is often somewhere else. Like that's what, at least that's what in a lot of capacities is what's taught do these things now so that one day when you die, yeah. this thing will happen yeah. that nobody can confirm or deny right. is actually there, yeah. but it takes away from the here and the now, which at least for sure for, for the Buddha was like right this moment, like it's impermanent. It's like this moment yeah. present right now because yeah. now it's gone and it's never coming back. That's right. And when I was curious about Jesus and looking into it, like I saw someone who was so intimately bound up in the moment mm-hmm. right there mm-hmm. uh, that I, there was this cognitive dissonance with me when I was like, but it's people are like, well, it's, you do these things so that you can get to heaven. And I was like, but I don't see that anywhere in the teachings of no. Jesus, in the actions of Jesus. And, and so for me, there's this beautiful symmetry. I mean, just over on my, my kind of reading nook there, I have a book called uh, Jesus and Buddha Brothers. Mm-hmm. And it's beautiful because it just like marries how much symmetry there is between this invitation to live fully in the present moment. And, and I think that people often think of spirituality as like, oh, somewhere else, yeah. or it's, it's about transcending your body and like not being here. But in fact, it is like this visceral rawness of the present moment. What what maybe can you say to that? Or like how has how has your practice grounded you or taught you to be present in the moment in front of you? Well, I think on the cushion, the practice is to have an authentic experience of the present moment, like mm. wh- whatever that is. And that is just training for it. And, and I think, you know, I don't feel a particular need to, you know, to, 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 um, say that it's scientifically accurate, but I do think part of what meditation is, is just that we know a little bit more about now is simply just opening and closing new neuro pathways. And if you can be, you know, my practice is essentially an insight practice, which is divided into a shamatha and vipassana and shamatha is, is, um, getting to a, uh, neutral state um, and then sort of, it's not exactly it, but kind of inviting back in, um, your attachments and, and just, you know, using that tack of, of breath and meditation to, to create some ease and then being able to see, um, see, uh, your attachments a little bit more closely and understand impermanence and understand self, no self. So through, through your practice, mm-hmm. you know, I think we always have big questions mm-hmm. and, and maybe this is what we're always seeking and some some of those are our are why our purpose you know source god has has this connect has this 
changed your approach to your purpose or your why or your relationship to, you know, source or God or universe or however you, whatever language you want to attach to that? I, th- I think it's, it's, it's made me believe more mm. without, um, I, I think within my practice, there's, there's room for anything mm-hmm. and, but you don't have to be sure of it. Mm-hmm. Right. So you can, you can, um, you know, there would be those that say, yeah, of course there's God, there's mm-hmm. God's, but God's impermanent because everything's impermanent or not. But I, I think it opens up, uh, for me, it's, it's trying to not judge mm-hmm. and it's trying. So like, I mean, I, I don't, have a particular inclination to believe in, in reincarnation, but you know, why not? Like you said, we don't know Mm -hmm. and we just don't know. And to me, that's kind of the practice Mm. and that's being present and that's not leaning forward too much and not, um, so, you know, I don't know. I, I, I think there is, um, there's something that we don't understand and we'll probably never understand. Mm-hmm. And I don't know whether that's consciousness or whether it's cosmology or whether it's God, um, you know, of, of all things, uh, you know, Noam Chomsky has this, this idea that we're just not cognitively equipped mm-hmm. to understand the nature of reality. We'll <laughs> never get there. I love that. Yeah. I love that. Um, just as you're you're talking there, I was I was thinking about um, this individual that I've been reading some of his books, Chip Conley, mm-hmm. and he talks about the modern elder. And as we age, he believes the goal is to stay to 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 find our wisdom, but be equal parts wise to to curious. And I was just kind of pondering on that as you were talking about you know your your practice mm-hmm. and you know, being open to any possibility. I think as we grow older, you know, we attain a certain amount of of knowledge and wisdom, but to be curious about, you know, what the opposite is or or what else, what's what's next or beyond that, mm-hmm. I think to to still have that blend that wisdom with that curiosity is is an interesting and exciting place to to go to. Yeah, I, I mean, I would agree. I mean, I, I think um, one of the great things about meditation is just when you think you've got it, mm. it all changes. Yeah. You know what I mean? Um, and, and, and so long as there's curiosity to sort of look at the change and explore the new territory. I mean, I think it's also important... Um, as we get old, I, I, I dig the wisdom piece. Mm-hmm. Um, sometimes I don't feel altogether wise. And so humility is also a good, um, and, uh, uh, not, I mean, I really, I'm, I'm low. I, I think there's so much exciting going on in this world right now and being driven by young, creative people who are actually free of, you know, some of the shit that we grew up with, mm-hmm. you know what I mean? Um, and the world is becoming a slightly better place, I think. 
slowly mm-hmm. over time. Yeah, yeah. We're there, there's an arc to the like yeah. we're we're moving we're moving. I think in a in a positive direction. I mean, there's obviously always things in the news that we can point to and be like, sure. how are we? What year is it? Like, how have we gone back in time? Or some countries seem to be going back in time with certain things. Yeah, yeah. But I would agree. I think generally speaking, if we take the take the long view. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, we're we're moving in the right direction. I think so. Yeah. yeah. Um, Brian, you talked earlier about. Uh, within the context of your your work in brand, mm-hmm. like form, mm-hmm. sometimes gives you uh, some might see it as limitation. Mm-hmm. You need to fit all of this copy and imaging and story onto this package mm-hmm. to to represent our brand. Mm-hmm. And for some people, they might be like, "Oh my god, that's way too limiting. Mm-hmm. I need more." But you linked the idea of like form and freedom. Mm-hmm. So within a structure, there's infinite freedom to explore in that structure criticism often of spiritual practices mm-hmm. is they are like uh you know even religion mm-hmm. can be like to rebind like mm-hmm. religero is mm-hmm. latin right? like bind again mm-hmm. so it can feel like you know uh a straitjacket mm-hmm. or a practice that you have to fit into mm-hmm. but uh i know you know pre-pod conversation we were talking about like framework allows for freedom mm-hmm. or form and freedom can you speak mm-hmm. to a little bit about that and your your practice uh on 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 the cushion and how that's given you that framework has given you freedom yeah i mean i i think for a mind like mine and not everybody's is but but it it um similar to a package um there's this point where the form and the knowledge and the wisdom um, leads you to a certain place. And then there's a point where you need to let it go. And that's when creativity happens, right? Um, and it's the, it's the same, the design process for me and, and the practice process for me are really the same in that, in that regard. Mm-hmm. Um, in a broader context, I think right now we have... Um, in terms of forms being limiting in, in, in relation to spirituality and religions, I think there's a long history of mystics like Jesus and the Buddha, um, coming up, you know, really having profound experiences that give us deep insight about what it means to be human. Um, and then a bunch of dudes who like to control shit, get their hands on it. And it happens in all of them. And that's just dogma. But I think, the amazing thing about things like YouTube right now is you can you can go on and get these like direct teachings and compare, you know, whether you're talking about emptiness or Brahman or the Holy Trinity or whatever it is, you can see how, um, at least I believe, that the same experiences were being described just with different cultural references. Um, and you can see that within individual religions. You can see that across religions. Mm-hmm. Um, one of the most beautiful things I've ever heard is uh, that quote from uh, Mother Teresa when she's asked, uh, um, uh, when you pray, um, uh, what do you say to God? And she says, I don't say anything. I just listen. And... They say, you, yeah, they say, uh, 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 well, what does God say back to you? And she says, he doesn't say anything. He just listens. And like, that's meditation yeah. in a Catholic context. You yes. know what I mean? Yes. And, and I think those deep monks and nuns and practitioners, 
they they have their own ways of transcending the dogma mm-hmm. and getting to the yeah. not all of them I not guess. not all <laughs> but i think i think in many ways the maybe the most practiced ones yeah. they can see it a little more clearly yeah. one, of, one of my favorite books that came out in the last couple of years is called the book of joy mm-hmm. by douglas abrams mm-hmm. and it's kind of a, a memoir he he sits and he chronicles this this friendship meetup uh, between the Dalai Lama and um, Archbishop Desmond Tutu. Yeah. Uh, and it's just, I can't read it. I can't even think about it without just like beaming in delight yeah. because they have these conversations and they are like, not to use kind of like a, a cheeky term, but they are like soul brothers. Yeah. And it's so beautiful because they both represent these different traditions and yet they come together and they are saying the same thing Basically, and they just yeah. see each other uh, as as peers and mm-hmm. as friends and they're learning from each other and sharing and it's just such a beautiful rem- reminder of mm-hmm. that truth yeah that we're, that there's yeah. far more that connects us than divides us totally yeah yeah hmm. so some language that you have on your some of your your beautiful shares that you have on your instagram mm-hmm. dharma and dukkha is that yeah yeah dukkha is suffering yes and dharma dharma can be a bunch of things dharma is uh um, the collected teaching of the Buddha, okay. like the writing, and particularly the Pali, no, not just the Pali Canon, but the, um, uh, and then Dharma is also uh, phenomena and experience. Okay. Right? So, um, on some of them, I think I say at the end, this is dukkha, this is Dharma, this is free, and yeah. it's the same as, it's the same, same, right? This, this, it, the, 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 um, the experience in and of itself is neither suffering nor, nor, uh, nor freedom. It, it, it just is. And everything else we apply to it. So, uh, you know, I, I understand that sometimes that idea of, you know, you can make, you know, the suffering is just in your mind again, can be a little, can be a little, uh, um, but I, my experience on the cushion is, is that that, that plays out that if you can, if you can get past, if you can use that, that, um, tech, that ease tech to get past mm. the attachment, you can really see how much of our suffering, um, we just create through our own desire. Mm. Do you ever read, um, Victor Frankl's Man's Search for Meaning? I, I haven't read it, but I certainly know who Victor Frankl I, is. I feel like that would be a, a great one for, for your practice. Like, that's yeah. one thing. Uh, to give context, he's, you know, a, you know, a death camp Holocaust yeah. survivor. And um, his kind of, how he survived this was he kind of came to this realization that only he could own how he suffers. That's right. And he could suffer joyfully. Yeah. He could suffer in peace. He could yeah. suffer in acceptance. Yeah. No one could take away how he suffered. And that yeah. basically gave him liberation and the capacity to, to live. Yeah. Um, and that's always kind of stuck with me, you know, because we do attach suffering. Mm-hmm. But we can, you know, that's a very extreme example. Well, but, I mean, uh, his, his story in, in Western Buddhist circles is held out as, as an example of mindfulness and an example of the power yes. of mindfulness over suffering. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And he also speaks to how, you know, there's action and there's space between that action and how we react. That's right. And that is, you know, where we want to live in that yeah. space between action and reaction. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. And that's living in the present. Yes. And living in, in, in the power of choice to say, yeah. I can own how I'm going to respond to this rather than just allowing 
our instinct to kick in or anger to control us or whatever it might be to cause the next move, but to say, no, I'm going to, I'm going to pause and be intentional about how I will respond to whatever the stimulus is coming in. And that, that in the Buddhist context, that response, that volition is karma, Mm. right? Like that is the, the the karma is the action you take Mm. uh, in response to, um, and it can be skillful or unskillful. Yeah. And karma plays a big part in reincarnation, right? In the Buddhist philosophy, like we have like a karmic bound that we're trying to break is that, is that correct? yeah i mean yeah i mean basically there's it, it can get quite complex in terms of this this um uh d- dependent origination and the creation of karma yeah but but definitely uh you know i mean essentially liberation is is being karma free mm. yeah it's a long way off for <laughs> yeah <laughs> yes yeah me too <laughs> Uh, goals to uh, goals to aim towards, right? Yeah, right. <laughs> without yeah. attachment to yeah, the yeah, end yeah. goal, <laughs> it goes deep. It goes deep. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. It's interesting too. I just thinking about like circling back to the idea of like suffering and and uh, how, how we engage with that or understand it. Mm-hmm. And uh, for some people, they might hear it; it might sound crass or mm-hmm. insensitive. Mm-hmm. But then, through you know, even those those examples we talk about, like you can see how quickly that becomes really true. And it's interesting, like uh, in today's world where most of us, certainly in, in North America, in this part of the world, like we live pretty charmed lives, mm-hmm. free of a lot of, you know, big suffering that people 100 years ago, 200 years ago and beyond certainly endured a lot more mm-hmm. than we do now. And it's interesting that there's been an uptick in people doing like extreme physical activities, mm-hmm. sports, ultra marathons, uh, pushing our physical limits to experience some sort of suffering and, mm-hmm. and that we would know running an ultra marathon is a very difficult, painful experience mm-hmm. that many people, even those who do it, would describe as suffering. Mm-hmm. But in that, there is a profound sense of joy and meaning and purpose that is connected to that suffering and saying, no, how I engage with it mm-hmm. sh- shapes what that suffering is and what it teaches me. And I wonder if there's like a, a correlation between like our modern lifestyle and the creature comforts that we all ha- have become so used to or just grown up with and this intrinsic desire to, to, to suffer, to experience hardship. Yeah. I mean, I don't know. Cause it's, you know, I only know now, but I, you know, I've, I've definitely heard this, this theory or idea that our, that our brains have evolved and our technology has evolved really rapidly, but our nervous systems and our emotional uh, response have not. Right. So it, in that respect that it's relative, we can, we can do all these things. But so now we maybe don't have to be afraid of the bear, uh, but we still have that fear. Right, that 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 fight or flight response right. is embedded so deeply in us that now we're afraid of. I don't know. I'm trying I, to think of yeah. something, yeah. That, something that we're afraid of. Yeah, but, but that, um, it, we see it in in levels of anxiety. And stuff that's right. That's rampant among young people yeah. who really there's no reason for you to be anxious, but yeah. that alarm system is going off all the time for things that really aren't that alarming, but tell that to someone who's experiencing anxiety. Well, yeah. And it's as real as the bear. Yeah. yeah. And I think you could also argue, and you know, again, if, if, if we look at the, you know, 
the Four Noble Truths and the cause of suffering. The cause of suffering is desire. We live in a society that is built on desire. Desire is good. And, uh, you know, you know, I, I have a job, I work in the material world, but materialism is, is, uh, is, it's pretty intense right now. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. The world that we have, we have created and, and, and live in Mm -hmm. perhaps now, now more than ever needs, needs us to carve out time to sit with ourselves and to, to practice sitting and breathing Mm -hmm. and understanding and seeing ourselves and starting to move towards uh, the understanding of impermanence and that we don't need it all now to feel good. Well, and, and actually that there is happiness that comes from that, that, you know, doesn't just come from things, you know, yeah, you can, you know, there is happiness. Yeah. Yes. A truer, perhaps more richer, happiness yeah and anything could provide yeah yeah not from a brand or a product it can come from within or from experience yeah so for those listening you know you mentioned when you first started uh your practice on the mat 10 Mm -hmm. minutes Mm -hmm. seemed hard Mm -hmm. um if someone's listening and they're you know craving some some spaciousness Mm -hmm. some some time to reflect and Mm -hmm. to be mindful and meditate are there some practical steps that you can recommend in taking that that first step into meditation or mindfulness? Yeah. I I mean, I think, I think, uh, an early, I mean, I think those apps are great. If Mm -hmm. it can get you, if it can, you know, quiet your mind a little bit, if you're interested maybe in, um, counting breath, Mm -hmm. it's the first, like you can literally, and, and you know, if, if you're not an experienced meditator, 10 minutes can actually go by pretty quickly just trying to count to 10 breaths because you will lose count. You will not get to 10 unless you have, you know, unless you've got some pretty good karma, unless you're pretty deep, you know, unless you're pretty deep in the path. um, It can take a while just to do that. And then, you know, getting, when you realize how difficult that can be and then getting to 10, that kind of lights the fuse and then, you know, playing with 108. I mean, that's a traditional, um, uh, uh, Vedic and, and Buddhist, uh, practice of counting, uh, counting, counting beads, beads yeah. 108 beads. Um, if you can get to 108, man, you're doing great. And then I think it'll all start yeah. unfolding. Mm. Yeah. I think, I think counting breath is, is a good um, place to start. Yeah. I remember it's it's funny. I, I experimented with that when uh, Ryan and I were traveling in in Nepal, and mm-hmm. one of the lamas he lived in this cave in the Himalayas. You yeah. know, you'd go get blessings from him for your trek. Yeah, and he gave me some beads, and he said, "You know, count these as you walk." And yeah. and and I said, "You know, do I count them all?" I said, "Yes, count them all." And I remember I'd usually get to like <laughs> six or seven, yeah. and then I would like yeah go somewhere else for 20 minutes and be like, oh yeah, yeah, the beads. And then I'd, I, I never, you know, got past 10 really. Cause well, I, would, I mean, uh, it's, it's quite amazing when you, when you get a little bit of proficiency and you can sort of stand back and watch your mind a little bit. Yes. Um, how quickly it's changing. Yes. How it's searching for stuff. Yeah. And, yeah. yeah. I'd usually get to like eight or nine and then I'd think about something. Yeah. Just yeah. So I'll, I'll return yeah. to those count to 10 yeah 
Now, are there any books or resources or documentaries that uh, were helpful for you in your journey that you'd recommend to others? Yeah, I mean, there's all kinds of stuff. I mean, um, uh, the there's a, you know there's a good one that I read quite a while ago, which is a really great introduction by I think the guy's name is Dan Brown, and it's called Ten Percent Happier. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. And it is a really cool introduction because he's a major skeptic. Right. Like he doesn't want to believe in spirituality. He doesn't. And so that's a really good um, Zen mind. Beginner's mind um, is 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 a great uh, book. There is for those folks who are interested in understanding uh, mindfulness a little bit more deeply um, and the origin of it, which is which is a, a sutta from the Pali Canon called the Satipatthana Sutta. There is there's a audio book either on audible you can also get it on um uh on um on youtube i know you can find it but uh there's a there's a western buddhist practitioner named joseph goldstein uh and he has a series called um the four foundations of mindfulness and it's it's about an 80 hour breakdown of the satipatthana sutta which takes about 20 minutes to read in itself so it's a really in-depth but you know you know for my money that the two people that have been able to translate these eastern concepts into a into a western context that we can understand are goldstein and ramdas yeah Mm. that was one of the first books that really inspired me creatively in high school was the be here now yeah um, I got gifted my dad's copy from, you know, when he grew up and it just like the visual with the storytelling just yeah. like blew my mind. And I would just like stare, like I knew it was special without even reading it. You know, it's funny you say that I just got, a, I just got a new, um, copy of that or somebody gave me a copy of that and I hadn't looked at it in a long time. And from a design standpoint, yes. it's like, I mean, it just looks so hand done as it, but it's beautiful yeah. and shockingly effective. Yes. And the la- like, it really is a stunning book. It could be designed by the Grateful Dead almost. It could know? be designed by the Grateful <laughs> Dead. It could be. Do you ever read Sharon Salzberg? I like, uh, I've read some of her stuff that I, I found I was able to like connect with. Sharon I- Salzberg is great. She's another one, um, you know, who, who I think is, and she's particularly a meta practice, which is also another great practice to start with, mm-hmm. um, which is just, you know, I think it's you, you systematically go through um, yourself, someone you love, someone you kind of know, but don't really know, and then someone you really dislike. And you just wish, you know, may they be happy, mm. peaceful, safe, and free. Mm. That's you know? nice. Or there's different variations yeah. of it, but you just, you know, again, I, I think don't get caught up. It, it can be daunting to think that I've got to sit down and turn off my mind. A lot of these practices aren't turning off your mind. Mm-hmm. They're, they're doing sort of little tricks or systematic processes that, yes, eventually will, will lead to uh, more open um, states, but yeah, and meta is a meta is a wonderful practice. Okay. Yeah, that's like the is that kind of like a loving kindness? That's exactly yeah. loving yeah. kindness. That's what it that's is. It's a yeah. beautiful one. Yeah, yeah. And Sharon Salzberg's like the Western queen of loving kindness. She was kind of the same disciple as Ram Dass, like the same. Uh, no, as Goldstein. As Goldstein. As Goldstein and Jack Cornfield. Uh, that's so right. The three that's of right. them. The three of them came from. Uh, 
a Mahasi Sayadaw tradition yep. in, in, in uh, I think, Burma. Pretty sure Burma. Yeah. But, uh, and that sort of, that, and, and of course, they went on to find, start IMS, which is the uh, mindfulness, um, I don't know what IMS stands for, but um, with, they have a retreat center in Massachusetts, okay. yep. and that, they're like pillars of the Western Buddhist. Mm. Yes. Yeah. Very cool. Where do you see this journey taking you in terms of, like you say, you have, you have this, you have this space Mm -hmm. and you invite people to come and sit with you. Um, is there any intention behind, um, leaning into creating spaces or, or, or becoming, you know, uh, a model or a teacher for others in a capacity that eventually might, you know, be the thing that you do? You know, I have a, I have a, I'm very sensitive to what you were talking about earlier about the dogma piece and and teachers turning it into and and even within within not even but within Buddhism there are you know there's so many teachers that say this particular method is the only path to enlightenment yes. and it's just to me so clearly not so I'm 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 leery of that I'm very happy to have the meditation space and for people to come and and, uh, you know, sometimes I do, uh, um, um, some guided meditations there. I've been thinking about recording some of them. I don't know. We'll see. But, um, I'm kind of happy to do that right now. Mm. Cool. Yeah. Very cool. Well, I've got two kind of questions. Um, we have kind of a closing question that, uh, sure. Dean, Dean takes us to, but, uh, I was wondering, you know, following a closing question, if you could uh, kind of lead us through a, a one or two minute meditation Ooh, for sure. for our guests to kind of uh, experience with us. Okay, putting you on the spot here. We sure. know. No, no, I should have warmed you up for no, that. No, no, yeah. I can do that. Sweet. Yeah. Okay. Well, Dean, you want to take us to uh, to our our closing question, and then uh, Brian can kind of bring us home with uh, a little takeaway that we can take beyond the podcast i love it yes yes let's do it so first of all thank you uh for for making time to be with us today yeah. uh for sharing so generously uh you, who you are and, mm-hmm. and some of your story as i said at the get-go like we really believe and know that story is how we connect mm-hmm. and grow closer to to who we are trying to become and and that it just creates that sense of of similarity and unity within us when we hear each other so thank you for sharing Mm -hmm. with us um and zach and i uh as we were telling you beforehand like we came up with this idea of starting a podcast kind of during covid and you know at first it was like the juice truck podcast and then we we weren't really sure was that it who knows even the first episode if you listen back we call it the juice truck we're trying to figure out the brand and the story we should talk to you uh, a long time ago (laughs) we fumbled our way through it but then on a run one day zach was like yo i was thinking um I think I, I think I have a name. What do you mm-hmm. think? He goes, it's a little more good. Mm-hmm. And I was like, oh my God, like that's it. Mm-hmm. That's the, that's the name for the pod. Cause that's like what we want to do. Uh, we're all about creating it, holding, you know, space, inviting others to participate, to see, do be a little more good. Mm-hmm. And we love to ask our guests, like, what does that little phrase mean to you? A little more good. Hmm. I, you know, I think, um, the first thing that comes to my mind is um, you can't do it all. Mm. You know, like um, do your best, try to be kind, understand we're all going to make mistakes, understand that sometimes we're all going to be angry and unkind. Um, and and uh, 
you know, I, th- I think interestingly to loop it back to the branding thing and in that progressive state, uh, progressive sense of progressive brands, um, you can't be everything. You can't, you, you kind of got to pick a lane. Um, so I think a little more good to me, the, to me, the, the key was a little, you know, do, mm-hmm. do your best, try and be kinder. I love it. Yeah. Before we have a little meditation, like where does maybe from a Buddhist lens, like for those moments that we are unkind, like where does forgiveness come into that? Well, I mean, I think in terms of forgiving, I think we always try and forgive. Mm-hmm. Um, I think, you know, again, not to get too geeky on it, but, you know, the morality aspect of Buddhism isn't a shake your finger. Mm-hmm. It's, it's that it's just not skillful mm-hmm. in terms of being happy. Anger, greed, ill will, um, jealousy, they don't serve us. Um, so, and the more we get happy, the more other people get happy. It, you know, it's, it's forgiveness is a big, is a big big one. Well, thank you, Brian. Mm -hmm. Uh, you know, it's been great, to to observe your, your journey and your own evolution. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I look forward to continuing to, to follow your path and hopefully, you know, walk some, some trails together and learn from you and, uh, you know, yeah. Grateful for the the space and the ripples that you're creating. And yeah, if we can close this out with, uh, you know, a short, uh, meditation or or contemplation i think that would be a great takeaway for us and and for those uh you know joining us for this this conversation yeah um i also just want to thank you guys this has been this has been fun and i may think anybody who's endeavoring to try and spread a little more good is doing a good thing awesome i appreciate that thank Thank you brian um i think i think what i'll do is you know one of the um one of the um foundations of meditation is single-pointed focus and most more often than not it's single-pointed focus on your breath and again some people get dogmatic you know the tip of your nose your belly but i think you know um i'll just try and lead us through following the breath a little bit and maybe find maybe people can find for themselves where the breath naturally lands for them and where they can focus so So breathe in, breathe out, breathe in, breathe out. Feel your breath. Feel your breath on the tip of your nose. Feel your breath in the back of your throat. Feel your breath between your eyes. And at the top of your head.
in-breath and out-breath. Feel the breath in your chest. Expanding and contracting. Feel the breath in your heart. Open your heart. Feel the breath in your belly. Relax your belly. Feel the breath in your pelvis. and your root. Where your body meets the earth. Feel your breath, fill your whole body. Expanding and contracting. Calm your breath. Calm your body. Calm your mind. beings be free. May all beings be happy, peaceful, safe, and free. Free of pain and suffering. free of fear. This is Dukkha. This is Dharma. This is free.
Thanks, Brian. Yeah, thank you guys. That was beautiful. Yeah, very, very good. <laughs> cool. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Thank you. Well, there you have it. The one and only Brian Saul. What a great conversation. We were so fortunate to be able to sit with him and chat and absorb his wisdom and hear his stories and talk about his professional career, but also his personal life and journey. Understanding, you know, going back to the mat, sitting on the cushion, focusing on the breath is so central to his life and for all of us. So maybe you're interested in uh, pursuing a meditative practice. There's so many good resources out there to check into. I highly encourage you to make the space in your day, whether it's in the morning or the evening or even a few times throughout the day. It is uh, something that is really transformational in terms of just your inner life. And so definitely, definitely encourage you to begin or try or play around with the practice of meditation. And Brian was so, so um, generous in sharing with us his practice. So yes, we are so grateful to him. And of course, to all of you, the listeners, the podcast doesn't really exist in any meaningful way without all of you. So thank you for making it this far. Thank you for all of your listens. Um, be sure to like and share this episode on your social media. Let others find the goodness. And of course, wherever you listen to it, if you could give us a review, that would be amazing. Thank you to all of those who have taken the time to do so. It truly, truly means a lot. And any of the other ways you can support the show, just by sharing, telling a friend, posting it on your social media, hopping on the Athletic Greens, the AG1, all of those ways uh, support us and um, encourage us to keep going with this great endeavor that we love. So thanks, and until next time, stay good, y'all. Peace.